Welcome to the Love and War Worship Podcast. A conversation about Jesus and modern worship leadership. In today's episode, we have a conversation with Joe Saxton to discuss women in modern worship leadership. For us, this quickly became one of the most enlightening discussions regarding what women feel when they look across the landscape of leadership and growth opportunities in their contexts. We discuss the theology of women leading in congregational settings, as well as the issues of confidence and the opportunity cost of not allowing women to lead. That's what today's episode is all about. I'm excited about this episode, man. I cannot wait. Joe Saxon's one of my very favorite people in the whole world, and it was incredible to sit down with her for a couple minutes to talk about this subject. Lauren, are you excited that we're having this discussion? Are you excited to put it out there to all the worship leaders of the world to have like the ladies put their hands up? All the ladies. Of course. <laughs> I mean, this is something that people question. Yeah. And they... They feel they're they're not sure if they can ask. Before we jump into all this stuff, I just want to remind everybody that October 12th through the 15th is coming up very quickly mm-hmm, here in Kansas mm-hmm. City. The learning community is coming up. And trust me, you want to be in the room. We're just off of the round table experience. And I just reminded again how much I love to be in the room with worship leaders who are asking the same question, with worship leaders who are asking, how can I live a more Jesus-shaped life and not just a Sunday-shaped life? If you want more information and if you'd like to apply, head over to loveandwarworship.org, and we would love to get your application and to have a conversation with you. We'll begin processing those applications in mid August. But until then, just go and throw your name in the hat. We would hope to meet you and actually get to spend some time with you in the same room. So that's it. The question that we asked Joe to start off this particular episode is, in you know this conversation about women in leadership, we ask her if modern worship leadership is a boys club. And we ask her what the opportunity cost is of saying that women aren't allowed to lead in congregational settings. Something she talks about that was helpful for me was her theological journey to get to a place where she can minister freely. And she tells us how God simply began to use her and fruit began to show up in her leadership. Yeah. She challenges us that it's not about whether women should lead. It's about them being faithful to do what God is asking them to do. I love that point. And this got me, y'all. She said that the challenge for a woman feeling ready in ministry is rarely skill or character. The challenge is confidence. The question isn't, am I able? The question usually is, am I enough? Joe Saxton is the host of the Lead Stories podcast. She is the author of More Than Enchanting. She's a renowned conference speaker, a regular at the IF gathering, and you can find out more about Joe at joesaxton.com. Let's jump into this. It's one of my favorites of the season. It's great to be with you. Joe Saxton is just a great friend, and I'm excited that you're you're willing to do this. Thanks for oh, of course. being a guest on our podcast. Yeah, I love podcasts. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I have a feeling I'm, I'm going to get the best out of you today. <laughs> so let's, let's give as much time as we possibly can. Do you think modern worship leadership is a boys club? It may not be a boys club, but it doesn't often look like a boys and girls club. Okay. I think you you see what you see. Right. And so I would ask, when we look at the church at large, 
in all the spaces of every ethnicity, what do you see? Because mm. that's your answer. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what yeah. I mean? If, yeah. if you tend to get what you invest in yeah. and what has opportunity and availability. So I would ask, if, if that's the question, do you see women leading worship? Yeah. If you don't, that's then maybe that's a question you need to ask. And I don't see many. Right. I'm not saying there aren't many. Right. I don't see many. Right. I right, think right. there are loads. You are a Nigerian. Yes. Londoner. Yes. Woman. That too, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about when you look at the modern worship leadership landscape, what do you see? I don't see much that looks like me. Okay. Say more um, about that. I don't see many women. Yeah. I don't see many. I, well, if I see women of color, they are in black majority churches. Right. Um, I don't see much integration. Uh-huh. When we consider that we're going to be before the throne, every tribe and tongue, mm-hmm. I would suggest that we have some growth to do mm-hmm. <laughs> in beginning to reflect that reality yeah. on earth. <laughs> um, and, and I think it's, I think it's always worth us reflecting on whether, you know, we worship in spirit and in truth. And we are, our worship speaks to the father because we love him and he's worthy and we honor him. We adore him, but also it's the expression of our community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anytime that we're talking about women in Christian leadership, it tends to be provocative. Have you found that? Sometimes. Yeah. yeah I think sometimes people have questions and, and that's okay, actually. Yeah. I, I, that's okay. I, I, you know, we're a family. And not everybody agrees with everything in the family. It doesn't, for me, I, I'm a firm believer that we can agree to disagree, contrary to Facebook. Right. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) That we can actually have different opinions on things. Now, obviously, there comes a point when you're in the same community, someone makes a call on something. Um, yeah. I'm surprised by the degree to which women and leading it can be controversial, but that's because I'm a woman leader and I've just got on with it. And I've been in spaces where that has been welcomed and celebrated and not tolerated. Yeah. You know, where leaders have said, all of us play a part in the Great Commission. All of us need to utilize our gifts for the glory of God. So what is yours? There was an assumption that we were kingdom representatives. There was an assumption that our gifts would be used for the glory of God. And as such, there was an expectation that all of us would be involved. Mm -hmm. So to that end, there wasn't, controversy however once you started getting into areas of leading people leading uh, men or leading publicly visibly then sometimes it then then there are other conversations that come up through to what you wear through to how you come across um through to what you do etc etc et right right right. okay so let's unpack this because i'm sure that across the spectrum of our you know listeners we have people who are really familiar with mm-hmm. the tension of this issue. And then yeah. we have people who are like, what are y'all even talking about? Yeah. Right. So let's just, let's just, let's just put this on the table. Okay. Mm-hmm. Feel free to let your passion out of the bag on this. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's talk about a theology of women yeah. in ministry. So lay this down for us. Okay. So first explain the perspective that women should not lead congregational meetings. Right. So mostly what we get out of first Corinthians 14, 34. Okay. So, mm-hmm. and then express what has been the opportunity cost of not contextualizing that message. I think, um, I think I can understand. I mean, I, depending on your lens, I can see why people have come to certain conclusions. Mm-hmm. I've just come to different ones. Mm-hmm. And the bottom line difficulty is you can love the Bible 
on this issue. You can unlove the Bible and believe the Bible is God's word and speaks to us today and come to different land in different spaces. Right. So you could look at that Corinthians passage and say, well, it says women should be silent. And others will say, but if you also look throughout the whole of Corinthians, it talks about when the woman prophesies, mm-hmm. not if. When, and it's talking in that context as well, you could go to the Greek and say, well, the word for wife and women is the same word. Who chose which one it was going to be in that moment? Was it talking about women talking in public at large or was it talking to wives in the context of of them trying to find out what was going on? Mm-hmm. In a context where women weren't given much opportunity to education access and things like that. Others would would refer to First Timothy and it says, I don't permit a woman to have authority over man. And people would say, well... The word for authority there is not exousia, the word that we commonly see in the New Testament. It's authentane, which is an obscure, very rarely used word. And and, and others could say, well, are you trying to twist the Bible to make it feel what you feel or say what you want it to say? I mean, that's that's what comes up for people. Mm-hmm, I mean, right. that, and, and people who genuinely seek and genuinely study and all those kinds of things can come to different spaces. I I often say to women leaders, the biggest issue is what you think about it. Right. Because you've got to stand before God on this one. Right. Um, you've got to do your research and land, and you've got to find a posture whereby you can say, I hear you on that, but because as I've studied God's word and as I've worked it through and as I've prayed it through, I've landed somewhere else. I'm going to live it differently. Yeah. Let's talk about how you landed there. Yeah. So not you, you love the word of God. You, oh, yeah. you, you, your whole life is built on it. You want to live and respond to it in obedience. Yeah. And yet you are comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. You're comfortable leading yep. in these spaces. How did you get there? There are a number of things happened. Theologically, um, how did you theologically, get there? Theologically, how, how did I got there? Um, I went to Bible college and then I went to um, university and I studied um, the Bible in Greek and Hebrew for three years, mm-hmm. three, four years. And I learned to read the Bible in its original languages. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I looked at what women in the Bible did. Mm-hmm, right. I just looked at what they were doing. Scott McKnight talks about this. He says, you know, the question about women ministry probably should be a different question. Mm-hmm. And what do we see when we see women ministering? Yeah. Could Esther do? Could Hulda do? Could Miriam do? Could... Priscilla, Phoebe, Deborah do what we see in the Bible. Could they do that in your church today? And, um, you know, because if we believe the Bible's word of God and everything and, mm-hmm. and we see these women living fantastically fruitful lives with God as they walk with God, what does that tell us? I want to say it wasn't an easy journey. It wasn't an easy journey, um, but it was an important journey for me mm-hmm. to land. At. And it was one that came over time because on one level, you do have a theological journey, but you also have an experiential journey at the same time. Right. And and it's and I think that comes to us in every part of our lives. You know, there's what we believe about giving and then there's how we give. There's what we believe about forgiveness and what we say we believe the Bible says about forgiveness. And then there's a person that we hate. Yeah, <laughs> Do right. you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, let's yeah, be yeah. honest. It's not just on this. It's in life, period. So experientially, there was a sense of this call and always being put into positions of leadership, whether I wanted it or not. Mm-hmm. And um, and actually, it was in the worship context that it was first confirmed to me. I was leading a worship context. Um, it was for Youth Alpha at a church years ago. And I, I, I was like the one person in their 20s at the church. And I kind of got press ganged into leading it yeah. and leading the worship. And and um, all of the kids got became Christians, mm-hmm. all of them. Mm-hmm. They were they were from very random backgrounds. A number of them had some rather interesting visions and mm-hmm. um, not 
whilst we were together, that they went home that night, had visions that literally were out of the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, they had never read the book of Revelation. They wow. described it, and then I'd read it to them. I said, did you ever read this book? And they're like, no. And they said, and they describe it to me. They described mm-hmm. um, certain things. And not, I mean, the, the at, from the beginning of Revelation, John's picture of Jesus and stuff and describing things. And I thought, well, at best, this is weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but also, I couldn't ignore the fact that all of them had come to Christ. right. And I remember in being in conversation with one of my friends who really wrestled with the women leadership thing, saying, I'm not sure you should be doing this. I'm not sure you should be leading. And I'm like, you know what? Whilst you're having that debate, I've got a disciple, 14 kids who just come to faith last week. So I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. And we can talk about whether you're only doing it because there's a man not there and all that kind of stuff, which I find a really bizarre I don't, a bizarre theological, you know, people often say, I've heard people say about Deborah, say, well, she, Bar- Barak won the battle. And I'm like, yeah, but she was, she was actually the leader of the people for a long time before the Barak thing got involved mm-hmm. anyway, if you read the whole chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, but um, I think I, I landed and I thought I want to always be accountable. Mm-hmm. I'll always be accountable, um, not to people who, um, in my church context, I want to be faithful to what God's called me to do. Um, leadership is not a right mm-hmm. anyway. My dreams aren't my rights anyway. My life is the Lord's. The call is to take up my cross daily, deny myself and follow him. And if that means following him into places of leadership, then that's what I'll do. For me, it's not about whether women should lead. It's like, what does it mean for us to be faithful to what God calls us to do? What does it mean to play our part in the Great Commission? That's it. Yeah. That's it for me. Right. And I think looking at those things theologically, understanding the context of those words and the... And actually recognizing if you're in a context where there aren't many women who are getting an education, you're not going to find many leaders, not because mm. they don't have the potential to lead, but they haven't been given the environment or the opportunity to step into things. Now, you do see them. You see it in Phoebe, in Priscilla, in Junior and all the women in Romans 16 and people like that. But they tended to be the wealthier people, women with greater access. Yeah. The things you see the women Joanna, Susanna, and Mary who traveled with Jesus. You see Mary who sat at Jesus' feet, who took the posture of a disciple. I often say to people, for, for a while you're still confused about it or uncertain, just look. What were the women in the Bible doing? Do that. Yeah. Start there. Right. So I'm I'm interested in the intersection of the Spirit of God pouring Himself out on women to lead because yeah. what we know about mm. global movements yeah. happening right now, we yeah. know that they would not be moving forward if it weren't for women. Like, Absolutely. Women are at the front line of nearly every global yeah. movement happening right now and the Holy Spirit is pouring Himself out on mm. them to lead. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I see the Holy Spirit pouring himself out on you. Um, I mean, I'm watching what's happened with the If Gathering right now, and it's blowing it's incredible. my mind. It's blowing it's my incredible. mind. It's incredible. But I'd like for you to talk about that. I'd like for you to talk about this experience of the Holy Spirit pouring himself out on you yeah. to lead in sometimes controversial spaces, because yeah. I know what happens. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think as a believer, our call is to make ourselves available. Yeah. Basically, there are women who are children of a, of a heavenly father saying, what does it look like to play my part in the Great Commission? Yeah. For those women, they feel committed to discipling a generation of women. That's the primary space they feel called to lead. Yeah. And and considering that women are 50% of the global population, that's a big deal. Right. It's a big deal. It's a lot of people and there's a lot more people to reach. Right. There are other women who I've met who feel, you know, they don't feel specifically called to women. Um, they feel called to lead in particular contexts and, and to take on particular tasks. I think for me, um, no, for every woman I've met, actually, um, it's often been a wrestle because there are lots of cultural voices saying things about you. Right. There are lots of cultural voices which place your value on your weight, your looks, your size, your dress sense, your money, your 
desirability, your house, your house, your kids, the, your kids, your spouse. There are lots of yeah. things calling your name. And so there, what I've observed with most women leaders, wherever they are on the continuum, whether they're on the place of the continuum that women lead other women or whether they're on the place of the continuum that they lead whoever is in the congregation, um, a challenging wrestling to the ground of trying to prove themselves. Yeah. And saying, am I enough or too much? Right. Because our culture, and I, and I mean, obviously I'm not a guy, so I don't know what the cultural words are to guys, but the cultural words to women are often you're too much and not enough at the same time. Right. At the same time. Right. And so you have to get away from all of the junk to, to make room for the law to say, this is who you are. Yeah. And this is what I want you to do. Um, and I've often found with women leaders who feel a called, and again, I can't speak for, for the guys, but what I found with women, the challenge has very rarely been skill. Mm-hmm. The challenge is, often, is rarely character. The challenge is often confidence. Right. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. And that sums up my journey and many other journeys. I was at a, an event and I was speaking at a workshop and it was called Lead Like a Woman. I'm not great at titles. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. I said to them off the, it was one of these kind of extrovertly put out statements. I said, how many of you in the room are here and you're in ministry, you're serving, but you're not doing what God asked you to do. You're doing what you thought you could get away with. Yeah. And about 65% put their hand up. And I thought, I don't think I said that right. I said, hold on, let me say it again. How many of you in the room, you're, you're serving, some of you are um, youth pastors or you're leading worship and all these things, but you know there's actually another dream, perhaps a bigger dream, a weightier thing that God's called you to and you're not done. 85% put their, 85% put their hand up and I'm like, I'm, I'm off form today. I'm not saying, <laughs> I should. so I'm about to say it a third time and one of the team are with me like, they heard you the first time, stop it. Mm. And I, I, it really threw me and I said, why, why aren't you doing what you're called to do? Why are you basically living other careers rather than the thing that God has called you to do? And they said this, who do I think I am? Mm-hmm. What will people think of me? Isn't it arrogant to dream? Um, isn't it, aren't I too much? Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I don't know enough. Maybe what will people say about me? People, I've got no one to mentor me. I've got no one to invest in me. Who do I think I am to think that I'm a worship leader who could lead in large spaces? Why? Should, and you heard, basically you had an insight into the mind, the battle for the mind of women leaders. See, right there, mm-hmm. I think, is where we're getting into the boys club thing. Yeah. Because I think that young men coming up in the church, they just have, there's just a, hey, you can do it. Yeah. You can do it. And you they can do see it. people who look like them. Right. And so it's like, whereas, who was it? It was Marion Wright Edelman has a statement, it's hard to be what you can't see. Right. So when there are lots of women looking and thinking... I feel I can do it, but I don't see any women doing it. Mm-hmm. Or they're like, if I do this, does it mean I'm going to get married? Mm-hmm. If I do this, how am I going to do this with kids? And often if they can't work that out at the beginning, they don't start. They right. don't do it at all. Whereas guys often see accessible role models or versions of themselves, at the very minimum, male versions of themselves, fellow white males versions of themselves, fellow black male versions of themselves. They see um, less in our evangelical spaces and in terms of men of color but they see a version of themselves that inherently affirms something in what they are something of their gifting and says okay and and also there there are some understandable respectable things the guy can walk up to the guy and say hey can i shadow you some time i want to learn some stuff is that single woman gonna do that right right right. can she is she gonna go up to the worship leader one of my friends said i'm tired of being a sexual threat 
Right. I'm not trying to be. I just want to do my calling. Right. That's I just all want, you want to do. I just want to learn, and I'm trying to learn from the guy in front of me. But and then I went up and like tried to be like, can how I? do I? Can I? Or they don't ask because they don't want because that's not what they're trying to do, and they don't want to put that person in an awkward position. Right. And and then they wait to be chosen and seen. Okay. So tell me about you. How did you? Who invested in you? Mm-hmm. I know the answer to this question, but tell mm-hmm. our audience like, <laughs> who invested in you and how. Well, I, I mean, there were a couple of a couple of people. I would say there were three or four people at key moments. When I was sixteen, I felt a call to preach at that point, and I just thought this is ridiculous. But I thought I had to tell someone, and I told my youth pastor, and he and the thing that hit me is that he took it seriously. Mm-hmm. He just took it seriously. He's like, "Yeah, okay, so um, these are some things you can do." Mm-hmm. And when he would go and speak somewhere, I would go with him and his wife and he'd say, why don't you read from the Bible here? Why don't you do this? And at, that was at a stage in my life when I did not like communicating publicly at all. I, used to, I was ill every week, every mm-hmm. week, mm-hmm. because I was so insecure, so broken. But he, he, he believed me and he gave me opportunities. Yeah. That was, those were the two key points. When I got to co- my college years... I was part of a church called St. Thomas's in Sheffield, which had a real commitment to the next generation. So a couple, Mike and Sally Breen, um, were the primary people. Uh, but they not only they were the primary people who invested in me, but they also cultivated a culture. Yeah. A culture of expectation that everybody got to play. A culture of you can try something and fail and you're not going to be cast out of the church. A culture of discipleship, which meant your character is still more important than your gifting. Right on. Do you know, do you know yeah, what I mean? Right. I mean, which is a massive. It's like, yeah, you can... It doesn't matter if you are the greatest guitarist in the world. If your life is a mess, meet with Jesus. Yeah. That's what you need right now. Mm-hmm. And we will wait for you, but you've got to do this. You can't, we're, we're not going to like hold hands with your brokenness and let you get more broken and destroy your family just because you've got a good riff going on. Right. Do you know what I mean? We, 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 yes. we didn't come to play. You know right. I mean? This is kingdom of God stuff here. Um, but also they were, they would affirm what they saw. And I think that was a huge thing. And I think the, the key thing in terms of investment was that they were willing that as leaders, the community of leaders that they were, they would make sacrifices so that the next generation could come forward. Yeah. So there was a moment when Mike was speaking at a national conference and he'd been invited, he accepted it. And they asked, oh, would your church take on the thing? And he put me as a preacher. Mm-hmm. And that's a national conference. And we all know those of us who are closely connected with conference scene and all that kind of stuff, you know, that that determines book deals, all kinds of opportunities. So he gave up not only that space, but everything that potential space would have given him because he felt it was right that I should do it. Yeah. And what did that mean to you? I think it taught me a lot about, I mean, it was an affirmation, um, but it, it taught me a lot about what it takes to raise up the next generation. I, that one has stayed with me. And, I, and when I tell, it, it's, you know, because I was in that culture, I don't know I valued it as much at the time. But when I tell that story now, it amazes me how it impacts women. Yeah. Amazes me. How much pain mm-hmm. do you see in the lives of some of the women that have come around? Oh you my gosh! In respect mm-hmm. to either being blocked, yeah, or a fear of themselves, mm-hmm. themselves, or just being—I mean, just straight being sidelined, yeah, or or worse, actually wounded and mm-hmm. uh, you know condemnation that's been yeah. spoken down to them. Like, how much of that do you see in the women around you? Um, I see it a lot mm-hmm. at conferences. I often, I mean, I often pray with somebody who's weeping over it. And, and let me clarify that, that some of the things, because I say to, I'm a firm believer. I love the church. Mm-hmm. I love the church. I love the local church. Yeah, we do too. And I'm aware that there are some, there are some church contexts, which out of their understanding of the word, don't believe women can lead to a, uh, beyond a certain point. Mm-hmm. If that woman is in that church, I say to her, look, this is your church home. You have to make a call at some point. I, because I don't want, you don't need to be hissing at your pastor 
because right. they don't believe your theology. Either you stay and you work your way through or you bless and go. And no, bless and go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you know what I mean? And you celebrate who they are, celebrate what they're doing in the kingdom, and you place yourself somewhere else where you have the opportunity to thrive. But honestly, that I have those conversations very rarely mm. because most of those women who are part of those churches want to minister amongst the women in that community. Mm-hmm. What I see more often is, is church contexts which have paid lip service to women leadership and in practice have done nothing. Right, okay. And have and and those those are the times when I've seen women again less blocked, more overlooked, mm-hmm. where it's not even occurred to have certain conversations, and um and where women don't feel able to say who they are, and it's like an un, an unspoken silent thing mm-hmm. that women get so far, and it's like oh no we're really for women leadership, but we we don't know where the women are. I find that one of the most bizarre things. I'm like look harder. Yeah. You know, when I hear conference organizers say we don't know where the women are, it's like I can tell you about hundred. I, I really could. If you're a progressive church and you want women of that vein, I'll find them for you. If you are evangelical, if you're charismatic, they're there in across the board. Across yeah. the board. I can we can find them for you. It really isn't hard at all. You're just not looking in the right places. Or you're not looking hard enough. Yeah. I mean it's hard to say on one level, but they're they're there. Yeah. Um and so I've met a lot of women in a lot of pain who feel overlooked, misunderstood, trapped, and trapped in the sense of how do they communicate, this is what I feel called to, without coming across as some kind of weird dominatrix, control freakery, weird mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that they're afraid of. They're afraid of being misinterpreted and that their intentions are misinterpreted. And sometimes if someone's been sitting on something for a long time, do you know what I mean? When you, when the pressure's on, it comes out in a incoherent or an intense way that is actually can actually come across as kind of off-putting when actually that what they're communicating is not for is frustration at how long it's felt like this and how long the pain has been they're not necessarily trying to get at somebody because maybe they've not said it earlier right as well so i think there's some complexities there as well You know, we're, we're encountering some of this stuff in our learning communities where mm-hmm. it's a value of ours to say to predominantly, I mean, you know, when we put the invitation out for worship leaders to come to our training, yeah. most of them are men, not all, yeah. but most of them are. And we tell them, hey, if you're going to come to this, you need to bring your spouse yeah. because our vehicle mm-hmm. of, you know, building you know, the vision of love and war out is actually spiritual family. And it's like, Hey, it's not going to work for you to come do this thing, which happens all the time where all the worship leader husbands get to go to some conference and then they get to like phone into their wife who's buried in kids. And yeah, Usually sick ones when they go away. Yeah, the somehow strep turns up yeah, when, when right, the right. conference season starts. Like, oh, it's awesome. It's been incredible. I had this incredible... Yeah. Oh the Lord goodness. did all these amazing yeah. things. Good for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good for you. That's yeah. fantastic. Right. <laughs> so we're like, bring them with you. Yeah. And my own, you know, witness of the whole thing that there's a tremendous amount of pain yeah. here. Yeah. Because if you invalidate something, you can invalidate someone with your silence. Mm-hmm. You can invalidate someone by overlooking them. You can invalidate someone by net by using them and i find that often women leaders get used used to be the backup plan used to administrate and organize and they can do that mm-hmm. and for some for some don't get me wrong for some it's a gift and it's been a privilege for them to do the administration some who are like yeah actually that's where i'm that's that's where i feel called and i'm like you do you that's your calling you're living into what the law's called you to do but but other for some other women they're like yeah i can do that but actually there are other things that i feel the lord wants me to Give in a, as an act of service and worship to him. Yeah. And I never, I'm never allowed. 
Yeah. I'm never enough. And I'm watching other people who, because they are guys or because they have the right connections and because they are, because someone is looking after their children, they are freed up. Right. And I'm not freed up. And is there a way for me to access this? I'm trying to steward what God has given me. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to steward the way he has fearfully and wonderfully made me. Is that okay? Yeah. I think we, I think we just have to do a lot of thinking and a lot of praying and a lot of listening, a lot of listening to people who aren't, who don't look like the majority of worship leaders. Right. And we can really, mm. uh, really release people into the fullness of who they're called to be. Yeah. I just want you to know I respect you and I'm so Aww, thankful for you. you. So kind and, of uh, yeah. So thanks for doing this today. We we'll hope to hear more from you. Lauren, I'm curious to know what was running through your mind as you were listening to this interview with her. Man, well, it's been questions that I've asked. It's been processes that I've been a part of. And I always felt this call on my life to to lead worship. Awesome. But I didn't know where that fit. Yeah. And I did not know if I was allowed. Right. Um, due to the social structure of the church. Um, due to men being mostly worship leaders. So really what you saw in front of you, you didn't really see someone like you leading in front of you. You saw a lot of people that weren't like you leading in front of you and had you questioning, am I allowed? In our context, we have a really safe place for me to be a leader. Mm -hmm. And I'm really thankful for that. This is true, that there is a path and it that path looks like I, I do it, you watch right? Yes. I do it, you help, right? Mm -hmm. You do it, I help, Mm -hmm. you do it, I watch, right? It's just a classic like leadership square structure that we were were working off of. That path begins for me in our home, Mm -hmm. in our spiritual family's home, right? Right. Where we get to say, hey, yeah, come in. So the stakes aren't just extremely high here, right? It's Mm -hmm. just... It's it's you with a song. There's five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe a dozen, maybe twenty people here. It's not the burden of thousands of people here, right? Absolutely. And there never there's never that burden at our church because um, it's not quite right. that big. But in some <laughs> contexts, there is, right? And you began to grow that way. You didn't only grow as a worship leader. You also grew as a person mm-hmm. in that context, and you also grew as a pastoral person in that context. Very much so. Yeah. It started off with our trusted friendship. Right. And then it began with me taking initiative, me asking for what I needed and wanted. Mm-hmm. And that was that was so sweet. That was development. Mm-hmm. You just didn't give me it. You right. developed me. Right? I think it's good. I think it'd be good for the, the younger, younger leaders that are listening to really do some work on that and to articulate, mm-hmm. what is it that I want? That's the Holy yeah. Spirit of God like, compelling your heart to want something for His glory. There's plenty of times where we want something for our own glory, and that's part of the work of working out of us. If there are younger uh, female worship leaders out there who are inspired by Lauren's story, I hope that they'll reach out to you at yeah. lauren at loveandwarworship.org. That's L-A-U-R-E-N at mm-hmm. loveandwarworship.org and ask you the questions that they need to ask you. I just, yeah, please do. Yeah. I was going to say, I just totally just put that out there. No, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think the I think the thing is just ask. Don't be afraid to. Yeah. 
Here we are. This is the last moment of season two. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being with us here for season two of the Love and War Worship podcast. We have a surprise interim season that's coming in before season three drops, and it's going to be some songs and some stories that we've written and recorded together with the roundtable, the worship and mission roundtable that happened back in May. So be on the lookout for that. Go to loveandwarworship.org for more information. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next season. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Love and War Worship Podcast. The title music from these episodes is from John Shirley's album, The Desert Blooms. This episode's transitional music has been provided by MVRK. You can license music from MVRK at marmosetmusic.com. This episode's underscore music has been provided by Meaning Machine. You can license music from Meaning Machine at musicbed.com. To learn more about Love and War, go to loveandwarworship.org. Thanks so much for listening today.